Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 7. It's the last book in the Bible. And last Sunday's message was two responses to God. And I just, I love that in that even in this time period, Revelation talks about its prophecy. It's a future time. These things haven't happened yet. So some people are frightened about Revelation. I was before I knew the Lord. When you know the Lord, you realize it's the Lord's unveiling. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ. So this is a future occurrence. The church is removed, and that's a good thing. You know, we're going to go to be with the Lord and have the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the earth is still going to be rotating. People are still going to be living on the earth, but they've chosen the world, and they've chosen their self-directed life instead of God. However, in this difficult seven-year time period that's, again, in the earth's future, uh, there's going to be judgments. And if you've even heard about Revelation, you know about, it's a little scary when you kind of read some of those judgments. But the good thing is there's two responses to God. And even there's going to be those that uh, just rebel against God, thumb their nose at him all the way to the end, to their last breath. And then there's going to be those that even through this difficult time, they, you know, they uh, turn to him. And they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, which is quite remarkable when we start to read this. Today's message is titled, A Pause. I don't mean like your cat and dog, pause. I mean P-A-U-S-E, a pause, a break between the sixth seal and what's going on in the seventh seal. Why is there a pause? Why is this so important that God interrupts what he's doing? Uh, In addition, we're going to talk about the 144,000. And when you find these obscure passages of Scripture, obscure passages, there's some spurious groups that actually take these nebulous passages and try to make whole doctrines out of them. So we're going to talk about the 144,000. We're going to talk about sort of a before and after, why the, the one group that's crying out for vengeance and justice, now all of a sudden they're waving palm branches and they have white robes. So why are all these things taking place? Why is this in the middle of the judgments? And we're going to look at this in four parts. So let's jump in. Revelation 7, verse 1. It says, After these things, I, the Apostle John, saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel, very important, were sealed. Now, when you think about in the Old Testament, one angel had the power to take out 185,000 troops of the Assyrian army, and these angels are now flying through the heavens, and they're seen. It's, it's probably makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up because the power that even one of these angels possesses. So they're, they're taking center stage in these judgments in Revelation. But we're going to talk about the good news in all this. So one out of four is a great pause in the judgments. The angels are holding back the destructive forces to affect the task. Right. So verse one, the angels of the four corners of the earth. You can look at the four compass points. You can look at four quadrants. Basically, they each have a 25 percent purview of the earth over the natural, you know, occurrences of the earth. Now, some people, you know, for those that they just always looking to find fault with God or God's word, they'll say, aha, the Bible's not scientific. There is no four corners of the earth. We know the earth is round. We, we know that. The Bible tells us that in the Old and the New Testament. However, if you go on today's uh, Marines, right, United States Marines, I think they know how to land a craft on the beach and storm a beach, and they know how to do latitude and longitude and directions. If you go on their website, it says this today. It says, the Marines hymn has been sung and played in all four corners of the earth. 
So I think the Marines understand science. There's just a certain type of person that they're always going to attack the things of God. They're going to find little things that they think, aha, I got you, Christians. And it's just not, it's not accurate. So there was figure of speeches back then. There were colloquialisms. Verse 3, the sealing of the servants. The Greek lexicon for sealing means they were sealed for ownership, for security, for preservation. We can extrapolate that they also sealed these servants for anointing to do a task. Now, the Christians are being, those who are becoming Christians during the seven-year period, they're being martyred during this time, and these believers had to be protected because they were to go out and they were evangelizing. They were going out to affect God's work. And we see something similar in Ezekiel 9, where these angelic beings are having a discussion and how some are sealed, that when judgment comes, they're protected. They have the seal that we can't see, but the angelic world can see. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty wild if you think about it. It's a little different, but we're also sealed with the Holy Spirit as believers. You can't see it, but the angelic world can see it. God can see it. We, he sealed us for ownership, Preserva- spiritual preservation, right? And whether it's them or us, you got to think about it. It would be dysfunctional for us to be sealed or them to be sealed. Now, this is a different dispensation, so there are some differences And we just sit back and become couch potato believers. That's not what God has called us to do. We're supposed to shine the light of Christ. They have a very important job. They have to evangelize. They have to tell the the world the good news of salvation, right? Because time is getting short and these judgments are coming full circle, right? But both of us, whether it's us or them, according to 2 Corinthians 5, have the, the ministry of reconciliation of sinful human flesh back to God. So I'm blessed. I didn't come out of my mother's womb quoting scripture or being a pastor. I was an unbeliever for many years. And just like somebody led me to God, I have great enjoyment and joy to lead others back to God. And the reconciliation process happens via Jesus Christ. You know, and the question is, what are we doing as Christians while the world is burning? I understand that, you know, we have, we want to blow off steam. We have things that we want to do in our lives, but... I mean, when you look around, there's some pretty serious things happening, you know, as Christians, you know, what are we doing? And I think the the problem comes in when we look at these giant ministries and think, I have to do something big, because if you have that mindset, you'll never do anything because you'll think it's never big enough. So we have to pray and ask, Lord, in my little circle of friends and life and peers, you know, how could you use me uh, or could you fill me with your Holy Spirit to be used to reconcile human flesh, sinful human flesh, back to God. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to close the deal, so to speak. We all want to close the deal. I'd like to go out every day and tell people about Jesus, and they're like, I want to, I want to accept Christ today, right now. It happens sometimes, but not a lot. But it could be the next person after me that actually does that because of the fruit of my labor and vice versa. Verse 5, he says, of the tribe of Judah... Now, we've got to go back to the Old Testament, to tribal identity to understand this. 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Manasseh, same. Simeon, same. Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. So, two. 144,000. Simple mathematics, 12 tribes times um, 12 tribes times 12,000 equals 144,000. So the second part is the 144,000. Who are they? Well, we look at tribal identity. We look at context in the scripture. We look at the fact that they are Jewish believers in the Messiah, in Christ. Now, again, this is a future occurrence. This is really, really important because This is where sometimes you can go on YouTube for good things. Um, Then you can also go on YouTube and find the garden variety of ministries that seem to be something. But they're maybe there just to make money. And they they don't even know. They don't even use the full scripture. They just kind of throw things out what they think. And this is where confusion comes in. We have to go back. We have to study the entire Bible and go back and understand in Daniel chapter 9 that the angel, right, uh, Daniel's praying. And the angel gives him a message. And he said, this is for your people, meaning the Jews. There were no Christians back then. So 69 weeks have passed, 483 years. 
but there's uh, seven years or Shavuot, seven-year period that still has to take place according to Daniel 9. So these are, the Jews are now front and center. And some people have issues with that because, again, we look at the world, we watch TV, we watch the news, and it can kind of twist our thinking into things that are not godly. Well, Jews don't believe in Jesus. Well, of course they do. (laughs) There's actually several people in the church here, and our church isn't that big, that have Jewish, you know, they're Jewish believers in Yeshua and the Messiah. Uh, In Israel, there's a huge amount of Jewish believers. They're they're there. They're in, believe it or not, New York City. Uh, So when the Gentile and Jewish church is removed in the rapture or the harpazo, then these Jewish people really start to take front and center, center stage. So it's pretty fascinating when you think about it. Now, there is false doctrine because this is an obscure passage. You don't find it in many places in the Bible. If you are familiar with the Worldwide Church of God, Herbert Armstrong, he said the 144,000 were actually British. (laughs) And people mess around with genealogies and, and anthropology and He says that the Jewish people actually all became British, and that's just not even anthropologically correct. It's not genetically correct. The Jehovah Witnesses said the 144,000, remember, look at all these groups, taking that number, claiming it for themselves, the 144,000, according to JW, is that um, only 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses are faithful enough to go to heaven. Everybody else has to stay on the earth. There's a lot of problems with that. One of them is that, is that in this world, we have middle class, right? Poor, rich. It isn't that way in heaven. It isn't like God's favorites are over here and all you people. See, that's the beautiful thing. No matter, you could be poor, you could be struggling, you could have really a crummy family line. Um, bad things happened, but God loves you just as he loves the next person. You know, God doesn't play that game of, I, I favor you, but I don't like you. So that's inaccurate biblically. I actually have to laugh. You know, God could only fit 144,000 in heaven. I guess when he went to the permit office, they didn't give him enough square footage for his building. I don't know. That's a joke. (laughs) So if you think about how many believers over the thousands of years have come to God, the number is not billions. It's not trillions. It's got to be like quadrillions or quintillions. So to say such a small, not even 1% of the believers get to go to heaven, everybody else has to be on earth. So these are, these are, not, these are not accurate teachings, and they're really cultic teachings, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to that. So the question is, and for those of you that study the Bible, you're going to ask me this anyway, so I'll bring it up. How come the tribe of Manasseh is not there, or how come the tribe of Manasseh is there when Joseph is the tribal father? Shouldn't it be Ephraim and Manasseh? So Joseph's there, named, but Manasseh's, I'm sorry, why is the tribe of Manasseh, I can't even read my own notes here. Um, Manasseh is there, and Joseph, his tribal father, is there. But brother Ephraim is not there, or is the tribe of Dan. So if you know your 12 tribes of Israel, you have some questions about this. Uh, it's not that any of the tribes are lost. That's another false teaching, because if that was the case, only Judah and Benjamin would be named. So how would these people in the future find their tribal identity if the, there was 10 lost tribes? If you've heard that, it doesn't biblically fit. There's a lot of speculation, and I looked into it, and I did a lot of research. I'm going to say this, that I'm not sure. God has his reasons. However, I think a lot of it has to do with some major idolatry by those tribes, why they're not there. Joseph was a good man. God put him in, right, for his family line. Uh, he put Manasseh, but didn't have Ephraim, who was his other son. Again, they're, they're not, they've, they've died, but it's, it's their tribal line, so to speak. So you can look at idolatry. You could look at it, um, some serious consequences for some major disobedience. And we're talking big things. We're not talking little things. So I'm just going to say this, that... There are, you, you could probably, you read the Bible, you, you've probably come up with about 95% of a really clear understanding of God and his ways, but there are some things that aren't there, right? We're going to look later at the Apostle John. You've got your, you know, your seal judgments, your trumpets, your bowl judgments, and then seven thunders uttered. 
And John says, I'm going to go write down what the seven thunders uttered. And the angel said, don't do that. Seal it up for the time of the end. So we know the trumpets, the bowls, the seals. We have no idea what those seven thunders said. However, if you go online, I'm sure you can find a group that'll tell you what they said. But they can't know because we don't know and it's not been put in scripture. So you've got to be wary of some of these groups. They will find an answer for you just to keep you coming back to their groups. And I've done cult ministry for many years, uh, many, many years, and, and I know how they work. You know, even people, they, they don't understand the full understanding of the Trinity. They don't understand the full understanding of the deity of Christ. They don't understand 144,000. And they get, and, and then they start searching because in our hubris, we have to know. Can't some things about God be mysterious, right? Now, some people use that as a, as a, a reason to not study the Bible, but we study the Bible and there's still some things we're not going to know. But you can find occult teaching. You can find Arianism, Sibelianism, modalism, partialism. You can find all of these spurious teachings that'll answer your question just to make you happy, but it may not be the right answer. So let's continue. More about the 144,000. When we get to Revelation 14, we find these men, they're probably, um, at least largely men, they're, uh, they're male virgins, they're celibate. Now again, this is so, so important. When you read the entire Bible, the Old Testament priests were not celibate. They weren't single guys. They had wives and children, and that's how the priestly line continued. Pastors, um, ministers, deacons, deaconesses, prophets, all could take husbands and wives as they needed to, uh, or as they wanted to, to start a family. Let's look at context. This is a time that... The earth is, is starting to literally crumble. You have seven years at best to get God's will accomplished. And the 144,000, they just don't have time to raise kids, you know, to get promoted at their jobs, to go buy houses, to work overtime. You understand? This is a short period of time where they're doing the most they can to get as many people into the kingdom during this horrific time as possible. That's why they're virgins. That's why they're celibate. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, even the Apostle Paul, who appeared to be single during the time of his ministry, he said, you, you know, I could take a wife. Peter could take, you know, take a wife. We could raise families. Um, it, it, actually, according to the scripture, it does indicate that Peter was married. But he spoke about sort of the gift of singleness in that you could raise a family. You could do whatever you want. God gives us choices. But some people choose just to, and I know some pastors who are single. They didn't get married, and they're just, their whole life is spent just, you know, working for the kingdom. And, but again, that's their choice. So I would say this. I think we're seeing some growing pains. I don't know about you. I mean, if you watch TV, it's, it, our country is fracturing. You know, you can see the dividing lines between politics, uh, urban areas, suburban areas, races. You know, you see all this stuff happening. And I think we're kidding ourselves if we think, well, you know, if I was in that time period, I would do X, Y, and Z. But now I'm just going to sit back and take my ease. I just want to mildly encourage you, and maybe the Holy Spirit will do more, is that I think time is short. You know, these things are not going to reverse themselves. Remember, when the people who control the world have largely rejected the things of Christ, who's the Prince of Peace, you're not going to have peace. You understand? So there might be, uh, maybe after the election, who knows, everything will subside a little bit. But then it's going to increase again. Jesus said that these things would happen. It would be like a, an ebb and flow of these birth pangs, and they're going to get more intense as each one happens. So the next time there's uh, unrest, it's going to be worse. You know, maybe whole cities will be taken over. I don't know. I don't have those answers. But I am saying that we're kidding ourselves if we don't think we're, we're getting into some very perilous times. I believe the time is short. So my answer to that is, is for me personally, I go out into public and I just pray. Um, I'm very friendly to everybody. I walk a lot, you know, saying I meet people a lot and uh i just strike up conversations i am i so desperately want to make connections and tell them i'm a pastor and tell them about jesus it's just i just feel the urgency 
You see, and it's not forced, it's not fake, it comes naturally. And you might be a shy person, and that's cool. God loves shy people. You live your life the way you're supposed to. Somebody will ask you about your faith. You give somebody a smile. I tell you what, you go out into this world, everybody's, you know, suspicious of each other. I just don't see a friendliness like I used to see. When you're that one person who's friendly, maybe somebody will stop and talk to you. Or they'll think you're just weird because nobody else is friendly, you know. Hey, we're in New Jersey, right? So, um, but, you know, you just have to pray about what you believe the Lord is calling you to do, what your spiritual gifts are. Verse 9. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number. There's a lot of people here of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, meaning Christ, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb and all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever so three out of four is this great multitude of Gentiles who are these people? Well, let's do some investigating here. They do appear to be the ones that came from the fifth seal that we covered last Sunday. And now they're resting. Now they're in a much better place. If we take this in chronological order, we have the tribulation saints, right? We have the 144,000 that make sure as many people get saved that can possibly save again it's a matter of their free will it's possible through evangelism here the full number is complete so you have these this group in the fifth seal who were under the altar right and they were crying out for vengeance they were crying out for justice because they were martyred for their faith some of them were young and their lives were cut short they go to be with god so they're there the 144,000, largely Jews, bring in more people into the kingdom. The number is complete, like God says in the fifth seal, if you were here the last Sunday or get it on the website. And here the, the number is full or complete, like God said, and their whole demeanor changes. Every one of those martyrs got to be with God, and they're rejoicing. And they're so excited, the things that they say, salvation belongs to our God right? Who sits on the throne and to the lamb. They went from being severely persecuted, maybe dying a horrible death, not natural, at somebody else's hands. And now they're in the kingdom like that or quicker than that. It's interesting because you look at these Jewish people, believing Jews, witnessing to unsaved Gentiles, and today, and you see a lot of these, I call them reflective principles in the scripture. Today, we see a lot of largely Gentiles with some Jews witnessing to unbelieving Jews today. So the, it kind of reverses in this time period. It's fascinating. Now, he says, nations, kindreds, peoples, and tongues. What does this mean? I looked this up. It means ethnicity. Where are you from? Where are you from geographically? Where's your family from? Family trees, bloodlines, right? Some of you do those, the family trees. And languages. There's no mention of what? Race. Race is a 200-year social construct that really started with Darwinism. And if you read his books, I ordered them. I got Origin of the Species and The Descent of Man. They're horrible books. He speaks of human beings as if we're animals, and he, he divides the human one family into four races who are always fighting for survival. Literally, we have to kill each other to get on top. And you wonder why we have problems today. We've been brainwashing young people in the schools, in academia. You know, it's funny. I, I'm all for them tearing down Darwin's statues and Darwin's works because Darwin introduced racial hatred and racial division. You don't believe me? You could read the books. I'll let you borrow them. So there's no such thing as race. We're one family. Um, Pastor Vinny asked me to repeat something that I said during communion last Sunday. And I said, if you lined up a hundred bags, a hundred pints, people don't, we're actually going to have a blood donation. I'm going to 
Um, I think it's the Red Cross coming in. I'm going to announce that if you want to donate blood. You know, we do a lot of things for the community. And I just was thinking about blood. I'm just weird, I guess. You know, blood donations. They, got the, they have the cots and the needles and the sharps. So I just, that was on my mind. So I said that if you lined up, and yeah, I like to watch. I've given blood before. You know what I'm saying? If you lined up, and they're in like these clear kind of uh, plastic sort of containers, right? Sterile. If you line up 100 bags, 100 pints of blood, they're see-through or they're translucent. You can't tell me who the white man's blood is. You can't tell me who the black man's blood is. You can't tell me who the poor man's blood is or the rich man's blood. You see what I'm saying here? We are of God did that on purpose. And we could give each other blood as needed, depending on your blood type. So we have a country that's bought into this. And, there, and there's all this fighting over it. I'll just leave you with one kind of humorous illustration. Several years back, I said to my wife, you know, I kind of know where I'm from, but from where I'm from, everybody was there in this island. And I said, I'm going to have my DNA tested. And I did. Uh, my, and then my wife said, you know, I'm going to do that too. So we do the thing and we send it out, the sample. And it comes back. And I was so giddy. And I said, I knew it, I knew it. I didn't know it, but I kind of knew it intuitively. So I am from Italy, Greece, Middle East, the Iberian Peninsula. Part of me, believe it or not, is European Jew and African. So, and, and I just have to make fun of this world and our culture. So do I go on a sabbatical and say, who are my people? I have all these percentages. Oh my goodness, I've got to identify with somebody. No, I didn't do that. You know who my people are? You, the body of Christ. See, when I die and my body goes into the ground and the worms start eating it and breaking it down and put it back into the soil so that plants and stuff could grow, um, I'm not going to care. The color of my skin, the melanin, I tan good in the summer, right? Uh, my DNA, my chromosomes, that stuff is just here. When I go to be with the Lord, none of that stuff goes with me. There isn't a section for black people and white people. There isn't a section for the aristocrats. I did that well, didn't I? And the poor people. And I'm sure if there is a political class, there's going to be a lot of empty seats on both sides. Amen? Amen. Folks, see, this is the way we're supposed to do it right as Christians. And people say to me, I, I love debating people. That, you know, I just, you, you get me all frustrated. They're like, you Christians are oversimplistic, that one human race. I'm like, yeah, we are. As a matter of fact, if the whole world tomorrow gave their lives to Jesus Christ and read the Bible, there would be no racial division. There would be no wars between countries because we would see God put us all here together. And, and this isn't a, a sappy, you know, syrupy type of message. It's the truth. When you reject the Prince of Peace and you take him out of the schools and you take him out of the colleges and you take Jesus out of uh, the politics, this is what you get. You get garbage. You get people fighting with each other over stupid things. So I felt like I really needed to point that out this morning to you. And as Christians, we're, we're not supposed to be furthering the divide. Who are we supporting? What do they stand for? And I see ministers on TV. Some of them are making it worse. They're making racial division. They're stoking the tensions. And others are trying to be peacemakers. We should be in the latter category. It's harder. I can tell you, that, you know, being a, a kid growing up in, um, you know, Staten Island and you know, rough area at some parts, you know, there's a lot of fights in the schoolyard. And it was a lot harder to break up a fight than stoke people up and have them fight more in the schoolyard. The people who had to break it up sometimes got punched in the face and kicked by accident. We're the, we're the ones who are supposed to be breaking up the fights, not egging people on to get into fights. Amen? A lot of good lessons in the scripture. So we look further, the white robes, right? White is really not even a color. It's a, it's a state. It's a picture of purity, the righteousness of Christ. When they saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, they described him as his clothing and his deity had come through his skin and his muscles and tendons, and it was bright. And they were saying, it's like no launderer could ever launder. So you could get the whitest white here. This is, this is absolute purity, right? This isn't a color. 
Uh, and how do you get these robes? Well, today, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you'll get those robes too. Jesus promises you eternal life. He's a lot of promises here. The palm branches, emblematic of victory in the Old Testament, uh, there were victories and there were feasts and they would wave the, the palm branches. As a matter of fact, when Jesus rode in um, to Jerusalem as the, as the Messiah, I believe some people had the wrong impression. They thought he was going to now just get up and take a sword out and start killing Roman soldiers. So some of them had the wrong impression, but a lot of them had the right impression. Either way, they put the palm branches on the, on the road so that he could ride and walk over them, looking at him as the victorious Messiah. You know, uh, being in heaven is like crossing the finish line. And these people are so excited because it's one thing to, it's one thing to do well in life and, um, you know, to find something good or, or to go to heaven. But it's, one, it's another thing to live a really rough life here and then just be welcomed into his kingdom. It's just a kind of a different feel. And that's what these people are dealing with. They paid a tremendous price for being believers. They were stuck on the earth during this demonic and evil time. As a matter of fact, in two more Sundays, three more Sundays, I'm going to talk to you about the demonic beings that come up from the earth and give the people sort of what they're looking for. Um, today, even today, there's a segment of our culture that is into uh, Satanism, into pedophilia, into very disgusting and dark things. And the Lord is going to release these demonic beings that he's held in chains to protect us when the church is removed onto the earth. And we're going to read about that. It's kind of creepy. You know, people have a love affair with vampires and witches and, you know, the dead and seances and all this kind of stuff. And God's going to be like, here you go. Have at it. So don't miss that one. Second Thessalonians 2 tells us that, the, that right now, the restrainer, the Holy Spirit is restraining the Antichrist, right? This activity that's going to come upon the earth. But the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So we do see evil on this earth. But when the restrainer lets go and the, and the church is removed, it's not going to be a pretty time. Horror is going to be unleashed. The angels, elders, and the four living creatures are worshiping God. And I tell you, uh, you know, there's that acronym for, for prayer, ACTS, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration to adore God. You know, what are we going to be doing when we're in heaven? People have a lot of questions. When, when we really get the full picture of who he is, we're going to be worshiping like everybody else. So it's kind of a cool thing to get into the habit now in adoration, you know. And it's tough because we, we're sinful human flesh still. You go out to a quiet place and you just, you just talk to the Lord. You know, maybe read some scripture, see how wonderful he is, and just kind of meditate on that. Just adore him. Maybe sometimes even without words, you know. He needs to be a big part of our life because in heaven, he's going to be every part of our life, right? We'll see that. Some even in the church have a lifestyle of worshiping themselves. Everything they do is about themselves. They're incredibly selfish. Uh, sometimes on this earth, they get a wake-up call. But we'll see that. Verse 13, last few verses. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? So John responds to him and says, Sir, you know, I love that. That means I have no clue who these people are. You're asking me. John's seen this vision, you know, the, the elder in heaven, the angels, these people in white robes. John is like sensory overload. And the elder asks him to, because he wants to tell him, but he wants to stimulate his, his learning and understanding. And he goes, who are they? And John goes, he's the apostle. He was one of the pillars of the church. He had no idea who these people were. He said, sir, you know. I'll continue. I, I find humor in some of the, the interactions. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. So if there was any guesswork here, it just got answered. And washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. 
Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So four out of four is a further description. Uh, the elder asks John. John doesn't know, so he tells him. This is an interesting point. Again, you have to look for all the clues in the scripture. People can read, you know, I'm not a fan. If you say, if you want to please me, you want to please God, not me anyway. But, oh, I, I I read a chapter every day. If you're not understanding the chapter, then don't read a chapter every day. You know what I'm saying? Um, if two verses, I remember one time I was, it was Proverbs 18, such a powerful portion of scripture. I'm going to do the whole chapter at a men's group. I got through two verses. There's just so much discussion on it. So to me, comprehending what the scripture says is so much more important than I got to get this done. You know, we, we don't, we give you a reading schedule if you want it, but it isn't, you know, so that you have to have this much. We're not quizzing you. We're not taking a test. We don't do that stuff. This is for your own edification spiritually. So we look at this and uh, what we find is that John does not recognize any of these people in the church age. That is crucial. The doctrine of the harpazo or the rapture is under attack. So John, from the time of Jesus, all those people, right, a pillar of the church that he ministered to, he's in his old age. He must have come across hundreds of Christians, maybe thousands, right? All the way up until our time, the church age, John, who are these people? I have no idea. He doesn't recognize one person. What does that tell us? These are the tribulation saints that your church has been raptured. Pretty impressive, isn't it? So they come out of the tribulation, um, again, chapter delineations later, but we do see the difference between you, you have these evangelistic Jews, the 144,000 sandwich, right? Like an Oreo cookie between the two cookies of the Gentile tribulation saints. And the fact that the 144,000 were faithful, you see the before and after picture, right? The, the before it's depressing. You know, my, my brothers are getting, look, my family members are getting murdered on earth, Lord, how long? And then they're not even under the altar anymore. They're before the throne and they're waving the palm branches, victory, victory. And they're all, could you imagine, you know, there was, um, I remember a story and there's a, unfortunately a lot of them where ISIS beheaded, I think there were 10, uh, Egyptian Christians on the beach. They had pictures and everything. It was disgusting. And they all just went quietly and their lives were taken in probably a matter of a few minutes. Could you imagine all 10 of them being in heaven with the Lord? Wow. Wow. Not in fear of ISIS anymore. Not in fear every day that they're going to come break down my door, that they're going to overpower me. They have guns. I don't. You see what I'm saying? So they all come together. Imagine that. I just, it's just me. I have a child, childlike imagination for these things. You know, the tribulation saints getting to heaven and, you know, my throat's intact. Oh my goodness, this is great, right? So it's pretty, pretty cool to look at. Total different demeanor. Verse 14, they washed their robes uh, and made white in the blood of the lamb. Of course, it's figurative. Uh, Isaiah 1 prophesied all the way in the Old Testament, that the Messiah, by his blood, that the, that the sins of the people will be, would be made white as, as snow, that the scarlet would be turned to white. And verse 16 says, they won't hunger or thirst anymore. Well, you know, it's really sad that there's going to be people in this time. And again, this, this Antichrist, he's a charismatic globalist. I believe he's alive today. He's working his way up through the global community. You know, he's making connections. I have no doubt that, and again, I could be wrong, but I believe that we're close. So this person, and, and you know, it's funny, we're, we're being pulled as a country away from our sovereignty and even our Bill of Rights to, to buy into globalism and to give up those rights that were fought for for so many years so that we can go into this globalist movement. You realize that you look at all these globalist organizations, right? This corruption's in municipal government, right? This corruption, money disappears. It increases in county government. It increases in state government. It increases in federal government. You ever see a report, billions of dollars are missing from this fund? How do billions of dollars disappear? Well, it ends up in somebody's bank account. That's how it disappears, offshore or something. Globalist, 
right? Whether it's the United Nations, they're always missing money. Billions of dollars disappearing. Even UNICEF for the kids, money disappears. But this is where we're being pushed to. Even in the church, Christians are buying this and they don't realize that that's setting up the system for this charismatic globalist or antichrist to take control. Folks, if you're not buying that, wait till we get into the next several chapters. Because I'm going to name names and I'm going to quote them. And I'm going to tell you that they're all going in this direction. So it becomes a, a horror show on the earth, partially because of that. So they, they won't hunger or thirst anymore. Remember, um, we're going to get into the judgments of uh, causing a famine, causing thirst. The water's not potable. This, this place is going to be horrible, but people still won't repent and turn to God. They still want to stay on the sinking ship of this sinful creation. The sun shall not strike them, nor, nor any heat. Again, they're in the midst of some of these uh, tribulation judgments. They're living among a conflagration of God's judgments and the Antichrist's sick agenda, the wars and stuff. But at some point, they turn to God and they repent. We're going to see more repentance in this book. And, and, and I hear people say, oh, I, I kind of like the way you teach, but Revelation's a little depressing. No. When we get into this, you're going to see there's a lot of really neat things in this book. A lot of people get saved. Verse 17, I'll just read that again. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. This is a personal connection here. And lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We see this in Revelation 21 as well. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain for the former things have passed away. No more death. That God literally wipes away tear from their eyes and they cry no more. And we cry no more. All those things that you're maybe carrying today that you brought into this church emotionally through your memories, you can't get rid of it, a trauma that you've experienced. It's not going to be that way when we cross the line, you know, when we cross the finish line. So that's a blessing. When you think about this world, it's, it's desperate. And this is a tremendous blessing. The sixth and seventh seal create major cataclysmic events on the earth, but there's a pause. Why? Because this is where God's heart is repentance and redemption that's why we do altar calls here that's what makes this is so powerful in the midst of judgment people are still getting saved and serving the lord and again that's god's heart today so if you don't know the lord and you walked into this church and you've never heard this and you don't understand christ died for your sins well but i, I did this over the weekend well i'm still involved in this and he wouldn't be pleased let him do the work in your life trust him he already died for your sins Right? He wants to cleanse you. He wants to fill you with your Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave with one thing um, because we do have a little bit of time. I want to show you a video. And what I, I'm trying to do here is I want you to see that there's, there's the judgments. God is a God of justice. Right? You hear justice today. Justice, justice. The world is going to get justice. And they're not going to like the justice that they get. But I also want to mix it with the fact that God has a dual nature. He's also a God of love. And a God that receives sinners into the kingdom. But again, he's not going to force you to do that. So check out this. And I th thought it was done very well in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. And it actually brought tears to my eyes. So this is who Jesus is. He is this for the, for the rebellious and the evil. But he's also this for the individual sinner who wants to come to him. Check it out. Give me a drink. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. 
You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out alone in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Wood. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Wrong story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him, even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from. Or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <sighs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him. Because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. 
You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> Wait! Your water! You forgot your um. God loves broken people. The Bible says that he who is forgiven much loves much. And I. And I, I see that. I see people who. They have a tough exterior, and they have a lot of baggage emotionally that they bring, and they, they don't want anybody to get too close. I mean, a lot of things that was said in this are not in the Scripture. They took art, artistic license, but you, you understand the message of it. I just want to ask if there's anybody here who, who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and the Word moves you, and the video based on Scripture moved you, We'd like to give you an opportunity now to receive. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.